and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into this episode. This episode is the second part in our recap from last weekend's race at Qatar with the start of the Motorcycle Grand Prix race season. Now, as I mentioned in the previous episode, unfortunately, we were not treated to any MotoGP action from the Premier Class with the Repsol Hondas, Movistar Yamahas and T and uh, Ducatis as well with Valentino Rossi and Marc Marquez and all the rest of the cast of famous Grand Prix riders. Uh, unfortunately, due to the ongoing outbreak of the coronavirus, um, the MotoGP riders uh, were not allowed to travel um, to Qatar for the first round of the MotoGP World Championship. Thankfully, the Moto2 and Moto3 paddocks were already in Qatar doing some pre-season testing, so they were able to stay on in Qatar and complete the first round of the championship. And although we weren't treated to uh, some MotoGP action after a long winter, we were absolutely spoiled by the Moto2 and Moto3 riders. If you haven't listened to our Moto2 episode, Go and check it out because it was a cracking race indeed. But this episode, we're going to talk about Moto3. Now, Moto3, if you've never heard of it, it's one of the most exciting race series in the world on either two or four wheels. The quality of the racing, the closeness of the racing and the aggression in the racing is absolutely incredible. And it's very much the first time where we see many riders step onto the world stage and announce themselves as world-class motorcycle riders. The motorcycles that they ride, although very small in stature and quite low in power, they are actually quite sophisticated motorcycles with um, special um, chassis and frame and also bespoke engines as well. In the championship, we see um, bikes from Honda and from Austrian manufacturer KTM. The rules for uh, this particular class of motorcycle racing, the, the engine must be 250cc in capacity, four-stroke engine and only one cylinder, a single cylinder engine. So a pack of Moto3 bikes almost sounds like a swarm of wasps, um, very deep, deep sounding wasps, but a swarm of wasps none, nonetheless. And the resulting racing is absolutely extraordinary because these bikes are relatively underpowered and relatively light riders are can easily slipstream behind one another so they can they can tuck in behind the rider in front keep almost as a little bit of a windbreak and are able to slipstream up behind their rivals and overtake and therefore the racing in moto 3 is absolute carnage um you know for example the race at qatar this weekend the top 15 places were covered by two and a half seconds. So if you were any further than two and a half seconds from the leader, Albert Arenas, you were scoring absolutely no points at all. Extraordinary. Now, if you compare that to, oh, I don't know, Formula One, for example, to, you know, if you see a gap of two and a half seconds between first and second, you know, um, the, the, the media are getting incredibly excited about such a close race. In Moto3, you can fit all of the point scorers in that length of time. And 
at Qatar, the layout of the La Salle International Circuit in Qatar lends brilliantly to really close Moto3 racing because it has one of the longest straights of anywhere on the calendar. The straight out of the final corner all the way down the front straight is a huge long drag strip which offers huge opportunity for riders to work together in an almost peloton-like style uh, and overtake one another constantly throughout the race. So the tactics, the the wheel-to-wheel combat is absolutely crucial to succeeding in Moto3. And the slightest of mistake, and you, as I say, you can be out of the points altogether. And Sunday's race was absolutely no different. We saw KTM returning to the top step of the podium after quite a long wait. The KTM team have been very much playing second fiddle to the much preferred Honda motorcycle in Moto3 for a little while now. Interestingly, since the Moto3 class came in about eight or nine years ago, it's been very much a swing back and forward between KTM and Honda. And each, each, um, each manufacturer has had their turn at the top of being the most preferred motorcycle. But at the moment, it's, it's very true that it's, that it's Honda. However, KTM have been very, very busy back at their, their base in Austria and have developed a brand new KTM RC4 for their riders to go and, and take on this year's championship. And the Aspar team, based around Valencia, a very le- legendary team run by um, Jorge Martinez, they were just uh, exceptional on Sunday. Alberto Arenas winning the race on his KTM Aspar machine. To give you an idea how impressive that is, the next eight bikes home were all Honda machines. So you had to go all the way back to 10th place to get the next KTM. So it shows you how well Albert Arenas um, performed at the weekend. Also, what was incredibly impressive was exiting the final corner of the race, Albert Arenas was actually in the disadvantaged position of leading the race out of the last corner. And you might think that's an incredibly strange thing to say. Surely if you lead out of the last corner, you'll make it to the line first. But usually that's not the case in Moto3 racing because there is such opportunity for you to be slipstreamed by the rider behind. So the rider behind can tuck in behind you, use your slipstream, use your brake in the air, and then just at the last moment, pop out and pinch the win off you. Incredibly, it can be incredibly frustrating for the rider who has led most of the race or led the last couple of laps or whatever. But Albert Arenas was in that was in that position, being very closely followed by Scotsman John McPhee, who looked like had the perfect exit out of the last corner, right behind Albert Arenas, and had a good chance to slipstream. But what we saw was this really brand new, improved KTM motorcycle proving just how good it is. And also just how good an exit Albert Arenas got out of that last corner. He just got the exit just perfect, got on the throttle as early as he could, got tucked behind the fairing, and and that KTM just drove out of the last corner. And really, even though it's sitting in the slipstream, John McPhee only started to to pull ground on Albert Arenas when it was too late as they were just passing over the finish line. So um, KTM can be probably pretty pretty optimistic about their chances uh, this season. 
Speaking of John McPhee, the Scotsman, who's the most experienced rider in the Moto3 Championship by far, he's had a long winter working, working away quietly, working by himself in testing, not getting involved in any in any group in, uh, in testing, just working by himself and working on his race pace, not worrying too much about his outright qualifying pace. And he qualified ninth on the grid, not not right up the front, but close enough to, to figure in the race. And of course, with such a large pack of riders, he did what he normally does. John McPhee, because of that experience, he has such clever racecraft. What he did was he very cleverly sat behind just at the back of the leading pack, watching all of the riders in front of him knock lumps out of each other, basically dive bombing each other and crashing into the side of each other and weaving about in the straight. Whereas he stayed smart, kept the life in his tyre, sat at the back, watched all this go on in front of him and just did effectively what Mark Marquez does in MotoGP. You watch a lot of Mark Marquez's recent race victories he often doesn't lead into the last four or five laps of the race because he's keeping the life in his tire he's just being sensible staying out of trouble knowing that he has the pace to move forward when he needs to and that's exactly what john mcphee did he just kept kept smart and in the last few laps when he needed to make his move to the front he did so quite convincingly now john mcphee is now part of the Petronas sprinter racing setup now that is a very good setup to be in for someone in john mcphee's position he's 25 years old now which might sound young but that is positively ancient in the moto 3 championship but that experience is obviously as we as i said very very helpful but what is so good about being involved in this patronus setup is, is there's actually a direct route all the way up to moto gp as it currently stands because patronus have their own um, title-sponsored team, the SRT team, which goes all the way from Moto3 up to Moto2 and then to MotoGP. And, of course, we saw the Petronas SRT Yamaha satellite team debut for the first time last year with rookie rider Fabio Quartararo, who has already signed for the factory Yamaha team for next season. Such, such is how impressive his performances were so clearly they the team know how to put a competitive MotoGP bike on the grid they've had some good performances in Moto2 as well and team principal Johann Stigefeld has openly said that there is a Moto2 bike waiting for John McPhee if he is able to be in the championship fight this year and he did so by finishing second on Sunday there put himself in the best possible start to make that a reality so fingers crossed for john that he can have a good start to the season and get him get his name on that bike to move up to moto 2 next year and then who knows there is the slight possibility that in a couple of years time he could actually be sitting alongside valentino rossi in that patronus yamaha team it might sound far-fetched but but hear me out because Remember, Valentino Rossi, he is contracted to the end of this year. But if he wishes to continue, he will not have a seat in the factory Yamaha team because from the 2021 season, Maverick Vinales and Fabio Quartararo already have their names on those seats. That's signed, sealed, delivered. That's sorted. So Yamaha have promised Valentino, they say, if you wish to continue, we, we will still have 
a factory specification bike for you, but it will be in the satellite team. Now, at the moment, that team is the Petronas SRT team. So, you know, there is a, there is a possible chance that John McPhee, certainly if John McPhee were to move up to Moto2 next season and Valentino Rossi did take up that option to be in the MotoGP team, at least he would be within the setup. Maybe not the direct teammate, but being able to learn from someone like Valentino Rossi is, of course, a dream scenario for any rider at any stage of their career. So John McPhee, he will be more aware than anybody on this earth how great an opportunity he has in front of him. And you can just see how relaxed, how happy he is, and how comfortable he is on that Honda motorcycle. He spent a lot of years on that Honda motorcycle and seen it develop. So it's just brilliant to see this young Scotsman from Oban coming and competing at the top level in the International World Championship. Also now not living in his, his native uh, Oban anymore, he's actually living out in Andorra in the beautiful uh, principality just to the east uh, of, of Spain where many of the Grand Prix racing paddock live. So a very good place to keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities and apparently a very nice place to go training up in the mountains as well. So good for him enjoying life in Andorra. What else did we see uh, uh, in the Moto3 race uh, at the weekend? Well, we also saw um, the Honda Team Asia rider, Aya Agura, another brilliant performance from a Japanese rider, starting fifth on the grid and finishing third after being promoted up to third when um, Masia on the uh, Leopard Honda was given a time penalty after starting sixth on the grid. Finishing fifth, we saw Tatsuki Suzuki as well, another Japanese rider on the SIC 58 course um, Honda, scoring pole position and qualifying uh, and finishing a very strong fifth in the race. And as I mentioned in our Moto2 podcast, um, it is just fantastic to see so many fast Japanese riders up at the front of, of motorcycle racing because with Honda and Yamaha, it is so, so important, uh, and Suzuki as well, of course, it's so, so important for the Japanese factories who are spending so much money, tens or hundreds of millions of pounds in the MotoGP World Championship. It's brilliant that there are enough good Japanese riders um, as well, which really helps the whole world go round, to be honest, when it comes to um, when it comes to that investment from the Japanese factories, because if they can get their hands on a good, quick Japanese rider, that inevitably means they are more prepared to invest. Just like, well, if you look at Ducati, for example, an Italian um, motorcycle manufacturer, both of their factory riders are, of course, Italian, and I'm sure they're very, very happy uh, about that. Now, the last thing I want to say about Moto3 as I mentioned, Moto3, the racing is just fantastic. It really, really is. Lots, lots of lots of overtaking, such close competition, so unpredictable to see who's going to win the race. Very, very rarely does a rider make a break from the pack and able to clear off in the front. It's very, very unusual to see that in Moto3. However, I do feel that we are heading for... Um, we're heading down a very dangerous path with Moto3. One of our problems in Moto3 is, is during qualifying is the first one. In qualifying for Moto3, Moto 
as I mentioned, the the benefit that a rider can have by following another to basically cause a break in the air and allowing them to, to actually ride faster because of the, le the less air resistance, what that means is that during qualifying, they've only got a limited amount of time to set a fast lap time. So what that means is if they don't have a rider in front of them, or particularly a fast rider in front of them to follow, the chances of even making it into the top 10 in qualifying are very, very slim. So what we see is, is riders dawdling around very, very slowly, waiting for another rider to come round that they can tag on the back of. Of course, the rider that's coming round, they are not going to be too pleased to tow someone else round to end up going slightly faster than them. So what happens is we see riders dawdling around at walking pace sometimes, occasionally on the racing line, and we are heading towards um, we are heading towards a, a, a real big accident, you can just tell. And I think a, a radical change in the format is required for the Moto3 class. Now, what we have seen is that the, at Dorna, the series organisers, uh, have split the they've split the qualifying for Moto3 now. So you now have a, an opening Q1 session and then a, a, a Q2 session. And the Q2 session with the top 15 riders. So splitting, the, splitting up the pack and trying to, to ease this problem. It does ease it a bit, but not quite enough. Personally, what I would like to see, top 10 shootout. Rider exits the pits, one flying, one warm-up lap, and then one flying lap, and that's it. They have, the, they have the track to themselves, it's all done, one lap, throw it down, very exciting to watch, and we see truly who the fastest riders are, and crucially, we do not have this very, very dangerous dawdling about uh, in qualifying, which also isn't actually that exciting to watch either, watching riders go around slower that, that you, than you or I could, could ride, which is not really what you pay to, to, to go and see. The other, the other slightly more difficult um, problem to police in Moto3 is weaving, and it's something that it doesn't seem to get an awful lot of airtime, unlike the qualifying problem that we have. In Moto3, I was mentioning um, at the weekend at Qatar how there's such a long front straight from the final corner to the first corner. Huge big long straight and plenty of opportunity for a pack of 10 or 15 riders to be all battling with one another, weaving back and forward. Now, what we saw was that most riders would move to the right-hand side of the uh, track, which they're perfectly allowed to do, um, as they're going down the um, going down the, the the front straight. But of course, the first corner at Qatar is quite a tight right-hand bend. So, of course, to make it in the quickest possible line around a right-hand bend, you must start as far over on the left-hand side of the circuit to open up that corner so that you can sweep round with the highest speed possible. However, if you've been slipstreaming up the right-hand side of the circuit, you're in the you're not in the optimum position by the time you come to the braking zone of the corner. And what we're seeing is a number of riders aggressively weaving from basically one from the right-hand side of the circuit all the way over to the left-hand side of the circuit and weaving back and forth and back and forth with virtually no consideration if there is a rider on their outside or on their inside. And 
I was watching the race uh, yesterday and I thought, this is just an accident waiting to happen. And lo and behold, and it's something we see in every Moto3 race, that's the silly thing. Lo and behold, two or three laps to the end, Darren Binder, um, whose no, his nickname is Dive Bomb Darren, to give you an idea. Darren Binder, the South African, younger brother of MotoGP rider Brad Binder, was holding his line, breaking in a straight line as he should do on the left-hand side of the circuit. And a rider, I can't remember who it was, a rider weaved straight across from the right to the left-hand side and just wiped out Darren's front tyre, sending him over the handlebars and out of the race in quite dramatic fashion. A huge accident um, at quite high speed. Now, a completely avoidable accident. And interestingly, the commentators on the MotoGP live feed said that it was a racing incident. I, quite honestly, I can't accept that because if we're accepting these incidents as racing incidents, I know that we must preserve the entertainment factor. We must preserve the great sporting spectacle that we have in Moto3. But what that particular rider, and I should go back and see see who it was, the rider took Darren Binder out. That is absolutely ridiculous. And this is something that we should not allow in uh, motorcycle racing. It's bad enough in car racing, but in motorcycle racing, of course, the risk is far greater with the rider exposed. And this weaving around is just, we're going to just see the same accidents happening again. And unfortunately, as I've mentioned before in motorsport, we must not be caught out by waiting for something more serious to happen before we step in and take action. Because thankfully, Darren Binder was relatively unharmed from that incident, so it just gets put under the carpet again. If he had been seriously injured, they might have looked at it a little closer. I don't think it should come down to whether the rider is injured or not to deem whether that is an unsafe piece of riding or not. Um, so I'll step off my soapbox now, but it's um, one one thing that I feel particularly strongly about. And I one, it all comes from, I feel particularly strongly about how good a product we have in motorcycle racing in terms of entertainment, and we mustn't spoil that by, um, by dangerous riding. Of course, I understand it's a very, very fine line to follow, the difference between dangerous and exciting. They are, it is a very, very tight... Um, very, very tight line between the two. But I think what we saw on Sunday was stepping a little bit other side of that line. Anyway, enough ranting from me. Um, I hope you've enjoyed hearing a little bit about um, this opening race of the Moto3 World Championship. If you haven't listened to the episode of about the opening round of the Moto2 World Championship, please do so. It was another cracking race, equally as exciting as the Moto3 Championship. When will the next round of the MotoGP World Championship in any class, when will it be? Well, at the moment, that's a very, very difficult question to answer because Italy, one of the countries that's been most uh, most affected by the outbreak of the coronavirus, unfortunately, has put in uh, effectively a travel ban for uh, Italian citizens to stay within their, their provinces, within certain provinces. And that affects a huge number of key members of the MotoGP paddock. We're talking about officials, riders, Valentino Rossi for one, he's, he's stuck. Um, you know, you're talking about the teams, Ducati uh, and, and so on, a number of the Moto2 and Moto3 teams based in Italy as well. So there is, it, 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 Spain and Italy make up a huge part of the MotoGP paddock. So with Italy being so badly affected, it really does put a question mark on when we're going to see some racing again. But, Hopefully, over the next few weeks, things will develop 
and we'll get some good news soon. And I'm sure that whenever, whenever or wherever we do get back racing again, we're going to see some really exciting racing. And I think once we get back to racing, we're in for a fantastic season. Now, if you're new to the podcast, hello, thank you for listening. Um, we are running a competition right now uh, in a partnership with our friends at Heeltread.com. Heeltread.com produced a wonderful collection of motorsport-themed um, socks, which I have a large collection of, larger than I would care to admit. It's a bit of addiction for me. And Heeltread very kindly have provided a few pairs of their lovely socks for our subscribers. So um, the first round of our competition finishes on the 11th of March. All you need to do to be in with a chance of winning a pair of these lovely socks uh, is to download the Podbean app, which is where our podcast is hosted, and subscribe to the channel and you will be in with a chance of winning a lovely pair of fresh new socks. And who doesn't love a pair of free socks? So check that out. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.